Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Alicia, and she is new at telling her story. And so it is going to be great because this is the kind I love. I call them NDE newbies. Like you just are getting out there and getting used to sharing your story. So I'm going to let you take the floor and you just go with it. And then when I have questions, I'll be back. Okay. All right. Yeah. Feel free to uh, take the wheel, but I will just, you know, start driving anyway. Okay. Um, so I'm an NDE. My experience uh, happened in 2002 and it was uh, two weeks after my 22nd birthday. Um, so it was like the last day of the month. And I was uh, had gone through a breakup with my ex and he was in a bad place and I had gone for a visit. And apparently he had just made up his mind that he was gonna resolve our issues one way or the other. And I ended up getting a dagger in the back. I was stabbed once in the back, but it hit my left kidneys, my stomach and my intestines because the blade was so long. And so, you know, anyone, you know, that's the sweet zone. You usually don't come back from kidney shots, um, let alone you get bacteria of intestines in there. And anyway, so I had a real slim chance to live. They gave me a 2% chance to even be able to pull through. And what chance? So I, 2%. Ooh. 2% chance. They said people are coming to say goodbye, that there's just no way. Because um, I had bled to death, you know. And he didn't call the police. I It took me a while to... Um, have someone come find me. So it's definitely a miracle uh, for one. Um, and definitely I was saved by God. Um, I did go to hell or what people would call distressing NDE, um, which does directly reflect the complications, the hard life that I've had. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about abuse um, and that definitely a negative NDE will reflect hardships that we've gone through. So my life before my NDE was extremely difficult and uh, stressful and hard. My whole life as a child growing up, it was just, everything was hard. And then I had my NDE. So I felt that my negative NDE just was a way for it to be expressed because I didn't know what love was ever not real love. You get that from God and then you're able to share it because, oh, wow, this is unconditional love. This is great. Anyway, so um, I felt that the reflection of my negative NDE was just a way for me to express without words, you know, in action form because I, I, I fought a demon in hell, which also reflects how I am in life. I never stop fighting. I always keep getting back up every time I fall down. Some people like to be victims or call themselves victims. And we do have to get out of that point because yeah, I was a victim. Um, we have to acknowledge that. So anyway, I felt my ND was a representation of me acknowledging my victimization and really just be able to go from there because I was saved from hell. And you, we do have to be saved from hell when we're stuck in hell. We need a handout. So anyway, back in 2002, um, I go to try and do like reconciliation or whatever. You know, I, I've always had unconditional love. 
And if someone's a very negative or hateful person to me, that's just like, well, some flowers are purple and some flowers are red, you know? So to me, that wasn't a sign for danger. It was just, wow, this guy's being very expressive about how he feels. And yeah, it's rage, it's anger. It's the other spectrum. Um, I think I when we to... grow up abused, we get a use, we get used to, that's our normal. And so the red flags may not go up because that's a normal. Yeah, and everyone gets angry and we're not allowed to acknowledge anger. It's not allowed. We, as children, have tantrums. And as an adult, you have a tantrum and there's huge repercussions from that. However, there's still rage and he was suffering from rage and so was I. Um, it was an abusive relationship anyway. But anyway, I ended up getting stabbed in the back with a dagger and um, I was saved and always <laughs> my body and my mind and my soul from different aspects. So anyway, he I'll just jump into my NDE now that okay. you have a little backstory. Um, I was stabbed and um, I never floated above my body. I was aware that I was hurt and needed help. And I, I told God the second it happened, I realized, oh dear God, you know, he stabbed me. Please send help, please help me, please save me. And he did, it took a long time, but he did. So um, let me, I wrote all this down because I get lost in my story, but. Um, Do you want me to help you? Like when he yeah. stabbed you, what did you feel? Actually, it didn't hurt at all. Uh, death is so easy. Um, I wasn't, you know, tortured to death. I just bled to death and it didn't hurt. It just felt really hot. And like someone turned on the water faucet and that's all my blood just, just came out of me and it was hot. And then um, I blacked out and I would come to, you know, he put me in the tub. He took my clothes off. He cleansed me. Um, he did put the dagger up under my chin. In fact, telling me, don't die. <laughs> he didn't, you know, he was, he didn't want to kill me. Otherwise he could have kept stabbing me. <laughs> he didn't want to go to jail either because he called his brother and he's, he said, hey man, come help me out here. I shake this, you know. Was and, you awake for that when he called his brother? Yeah, I had consciousness of that, or maybe I was aware in a different sense. Um, and so I was out of it for that. I heard on later when, you know, I survived that he, his brother called his sister and his sister called his mom and his mom said, somebody called the police. This is not happening. Good for her. I know she, she saved my life. Well, everyone saved my life really. Um, so his sister called the police and the, the police showed up at her house and she lived across the way. <laughs> oh. And so they made it to where our, our old apartment finally, and he wouldn't open the door. He barricaded us in. And his older brother is about 20 something years older than him, you know, in the family kicked the door down because the police were at a standoff. But the brother just went in, kicked the door down, and the police were able to go in, and they detained him and found me wrapped up in a blanket, like, you know, the garbage. Were you in the bathtub still? No, he had taken me out, and I was um, in the hallway. So a police officer came up to me and had shook me, and that hurt. <laughs> oh, don't touch me. I'm dying. Oh. 
you know, and I opened one eye and I read this in the police report um, that the police officer shook me and I opened one eye and he said, who did this to you? And I told him uh, his name, who did it to me? And he said, well, where is he? And I said, he's the man you have in cuffs. Like, you guys got him, what? Anyway, so then I went out again and then I came to, I was in the ambulance and uh, the paramedics had got me on the stretcher and I was in the ambulance, you know, but I couldn't see everything was black. And um, these two guys were over me and I guess we were going at that point. We're just talking, having a conversation about whatever it was that they were talking about before they got my call. And it was a massive crime scene at the apartments too. I mean, they had CSI out there. It was, uh, there's no way I was gonna live. So I was just pronounced dead. Like, oh, this is gonna be murder. You know, anyway, they they classified my case murder and I had to go back and let them know I lived. Um, so these guys were talking amongst themselves and I was really turned off about that, that they just could, you know, continue on a conversation while I'm laying here dying. Right. <laughs> like, okay, well, if you don't want to talk to me, I don't want to talk to you. I'm out of here. And so I heard at that point her pressure is dropping. And then that's when I went into my NDE. And so it was slow going in because there's a lot of darkness. Uh, it's just black. And um, I remember being in the hospital, like that's where it started. I was in a bed and it was always a dark room. Like there's just no lights. So you can have some vision, but it's real low quality. And so I'm laying in bed, um, unable to move. And I can hear the hospital, like I can hear people walking by my room and I can feel presences like of, I don't know if people are, I felt like dark presence, but they were just walking and just being, and I was just waiting. Like at that point I did have a issue with time because it felt like forever, but you know, when someone walks by, it's not forever, but my time um, interpretation, I just, switched over. And um, so it took a long time to feel all this. Anyway, I did hear the door open a couple times in my room, in my dark room, where I was just my bed, no lights, no beeps, no anything, you know, um, very old fashioned. So you were actually physically in the hall, but in this dark place, you were in a bed? In the hall, you mean like after I got stabbed? Yeah. No, this, at this point, I was in the EMT oh, I'm uh, sorry. ambulance. Okay. And so they had said, oh, well, you know, I said, gotcha. I'm, not I'm sorry. Uh -huh. And that's when I felt the darkness. I just, but I, I, I missed out the ride to the hospital. I just ended up in a bed in the hospital at that point. It was my way of saying, okay, well, I'm being saved. You know, I'm laying here. I'm not dead yet. No one's working on me either. It's just dark and I'm waiting I can hear things and feel things in my my bed. Um, so the door had opened a couple times, and um, that's when I could feel dark energy or these dark presence. And there was two of them. And um, as the time passed, their feel the feeling of their presence actually they did get darker, and I could see a darkness, and then a darkness, and then I could make out clear that they were actually people. There's two guys in my room. Um, one of them didn't have a shirt on and he had long hair and he was white, skinny. And the other guy um, kind of had a you know regular shirt or whatever, he was normal. And he was just 
over in the corners, walking across the walls and just staying around, being active and just moving around. But it seemed to me like he was the guy's buddy. You know, they always travel in twos. And um, so anyway, the guy who didn't have a shirt on, he had sat next to my bed. And it wasn't anything weird about that. It was just... It wasn't like he was trying to comfort me or say anything. He was just there. And I could, you know, I was just there. At some point in this time, he had stretched his hand out to me to offer me a cigarette. And it was a lit cigarette. And the cigarette was sitting in his fingers like this, sitting up. And the smoke was coming up. And he's offering me a cigarette. But it wasn't a hand. It was actual metal claws. And the cigarette was in between the claws. So it was really scary because it was really sharp. (laughs) But I'm like, you know what? I can use the cigarette too at this point. So I actually grabbed the cigarette from him. I was afraid, but I still did. And I'm smoking the cigarette in the hospital in my bed and wondering, where am I supposed to ash this and put this out? (laughs) Like, I don't know. But I really enjoyed that cigarette. And um, at this point, he had got up and started walking around. And I became... I guess like imprisoned, I guess. I mean, I was already in a bed and I couldn't move anyway, but he decided that now I'm gonna be in prison. Um, I wasn't tortured physically, but I was tortured mentally. Um, I would go in and out of consciousness, I guess, where I was aware or not aware and the environment would change a little bit. And again, there's no people ever. I saw any people checking on me. It was not a real consciousness that I was experiencing at that point. But um, I remember one time I had woken up and he had gotten all these massively long steel rods. And at the end of the rod was very, very sharp points. Like, you know, you would throw a a spear and it was iron. And um, so it was all one piece and it was all directions, all facing me and with one of them at the very center right here. So sharp that I could not even move. So it was a emotional torment. Are you gonna kill me? Are you you gonna take me? And definitely intimidating and scary for me. Um, Because those rods were real (laughs) and his presence was real and it was scary. And he definitely was in control. At that point, I didn't identify him as a demon just he was there and his friend didn't really have any interaction um let's see so there was the spears and the darkness I guess went deeper I guess you could say that because I was no longer in the hospital in the bed I was below And when I became to become aware, um, I was in what I would describe best as like a huge dungeon slash basement with openings and corridors and hallways. And it was massively huge and open. It was very open. It was just walls, you know, but all cement type, all one piece. So there was no a stair layer, stair, stair layer. It was all one piece, all metal, or not metal, but like cement and big. 
And I was in this place um, in one section of it, and the guy who was there now stood up. And again, I'm not laying in a bed. I'm just there. And I'm still not mobile. I'm not trying to move. I'm just aware. And he's there, and he comes up to me, like, up. He gets up, and his demon of him came out at this point. It didn't look like a person. I could see he was a demon. He had, at that point, changed to no hair. He was bald. He um, had a penis, actually, erected out the center of his head, and it was very intimidating. Um, his hand has still had the metal blade that he had offered me all the cigarette with the blades coming out, but his right arm from the shoulder was not an arm. It was three swords and they were pliable. They can move and they were sharp and they were, they were a part of him. Was, and, um, at this point, um, he was naked, but he had, you know, it was, it was a very scary part and he opened his mouth and it was just black, very scary. And at this point he came at me and I decided we were going to, we fought. It was a physical fight. It was uh, wrestling. It was exhausting. Um, his touch of him, I could not hurt him, but he could hurt me, but it was different because I was, you know, obviously I I won. I'm still here. It didn't hurt me that bad. But his skin was like soft and squishy. Like, I don't know. I could never apply that much force, but I did feel the fight. Um, it was real and it was very intense. So there was a lot of movement and energy um, and fear. At one point, I did grab his blades of swords that he had tried to wrap around me and then at one point I was my back up against his chest and it was like an interlocking hold and instead of still at that point where what are you going to do when you're in a move where you're completely entrapped I still wouldn't stop fighting I pushed my feet into the ground and pushed back against him and he sunk his teeth into the back of my head and his teeth were also like razor claws in his mouth. It was metal, like his weapons on his arms, his teeth. And it sunk into the back of my brain. But I just wouldn't stop fighting. I didn't even care. I could feel it. And I, I just wasn't going to go without a fight. And at that point, he had become enraged because he had become blind. I don't know what happened but he lost his sight and he had let me go and screaming and enraged around the room, just sightless. And I just could just lay there and um, time passed. I looked up where I was laying and he had been gone, you know, it was quiet now. And I could see above me, like grates, kind of like you would see on a street. But when you're looking on a street, you're looking down at the grates. Well, imagine it way up there and I'm looking and the grates are above me. And there's all these, like a dozen small little dark black shadowy figures or souls just staring at me, just watching me like you would a fight. 
no, just watching. No one's going to help me. They weren't going to help me. They, I don't know if they could even come through the grate, but they definitely had a show. And I looked up at them watching me, and then I just turned my head. And I can just feel the weight of my turn. And I look, and there is, in that side of this area, the cement steps, massive step, massive step, massive step, massive step, just goes up. These steps went up. And one foot at a time, this child walked down these steps. And I could see a little light above this stairwell or whatever, just a little bit. And it was a small blonde haired boy, maybe 10-ish, eight years old, wearing like soft white clothes, barefoot. Walked down the step to the very bottom and came out a few steps and just looked at me. And I just knew he was gonna help me. And he turned around and went right back up the steps. <laughs> and I just waited. I just knew he was going to help me. So I just waited. And then I got up myself and walked over to another part, like an edge. And it was like a looking down over through, uh, like a, like if I were up in a loft and I looked down below uh -huh. and I saw the continuation of this dungeon basement and it was massive. And there were rooms and quarters. I mean, imagine like MC Etcher, that guy, you know, with the stairwells, it wasn't, you know, that massive, but it was like, whoa. <laughs> um, below where I was on this uh, corridor, I saw the demon and he was on a metal cart and he was cut in half from his torso. So there was no bottom half of him and his eyes were gone and it was just black and his mouth was just a big black open. I mean, he was dead, I guess. If demons can die, his weapons were gone. His teeth, his hand, his arms, uh, was just gone. And so he just had that top torso of him. It was just, you know, he was wrapped in a clear orange bag, like a plastic bag that you, and at the top of it was the, instead of the penis, it was the top of the bag was just orange shimmer up. And it was like, you know, and it was clear because I can see the orange, the clear orange, but I could see his body through it too. Um, and he was laying on a cart, a metal cart, and this cart was being rolled down the corridor by some person. It looked like some old guy who was working there. And he was just slowly rolling away like, well, that's where he went. Um, and I saw him go. And I turned away at that point back to where the main room that I had been in and just laid with exhaustion, I guess, just waiting and wondering if this is, you know, it. And a loud, weird noise, like a, to me, it sounded like a helicopter. It was just really intense. And I just went up. I could feel myself go up. And I was just, I couldn't move. I couldn't think. I was just beyond exhausted. Um, but I could feel the energy and the sound of it. And it was loud. And I just went up. 
So that was the end of the distressing part, I guess. Um, because at this point I went on like a spiritual journey and I say spirit because I was moving as spirit or in spirit. Um, so there's no form, no body. Um, there was just my thoughts. Uh, I was at one point in an egg shaped shell and I had a mini window that if I stood on my tiptoes, I can kind of see out this window. <laughs> and I had a little seat that I could sit on and it was big enough where I could just take a step, turn around, sit back. That was it. And it was an egg-shaped white. So when I looked out this window, I'm like traveling through space, literally seeing stars go by me. Um, of course, they were very far away. <laughs> So it was dark and it was lonely and I was really in there for forever. And I start wondering, am I really going to be in here for forever? <laughs> and that's when that experience ended. And I found myself in um, the middle of a raging ocean with storms and clouds and thunder and lightning and rain and wind. And I was held suspended in the air above the ocean, unable to move with my arms out. And I was filled with fear. I was so afraid. And I couldn't move at all. I was frozen. I could see with my eyes. Down in the water in the storm is a figure swimming through the water made of water. This figure is like a man made of water. He was, the water was just tiny curls, you know, it was all together, but his form was a man. And he had curly water hair, curly water hair beard. <laughs> it was all water. And I could make him out very distinctly in his water form. Um, he was doing the butterfly stroke. And my vision in all of this, he was halfway out of the water in the middle of a butterfly stroke, ready to go back in the water. You know, when you do a butterfly stroke, you swim in with your head. Anyway, your arms stay out. In the middle of that stroke, he noticed me up in the air and looks at me and I could see his eyes, even though he's far away, it was very detailed. And I could feel just his powers, just, overwhelming whoa <laughs> and then I was it all of that experience took a millisecond but it was so impactful I call it like all these things I thought uh, literally scarred my brain because these images when you put a tattoo on your arm you don't always feel the pain you know it hurt when it came went in but you always have that color of the tattoo there for everyone to see. Well, no one could see my tattoo. It was in my brain, but those colors and those images were just a part of me, even though they were just, well, the experience in the ocean was short and the experience with the eggshell took forever, but still it's just a picture. It's just a story. It's just a tattoo on your arm to be looked at and analyzed. And anyway, so that was one. Um, I like that analogy to the tattoo. Yeah, there, there's scars. I mean, I have a lot of scars on my body from the surgeries and everything. 
but I have scars on my mind too. And I only have one tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like pain, but uh, the tattoo re reflects my ND um, of truth coming out. We have to pull the truth out into life. Even if it's from a story, even if it's from a tattoo, a picture, an idea. Put now people are going to ask me. So let me ask you now. Were you under any um, drug abuse at the time this happened? Alcohol or at the hospital? Anything that could have made you have some kind of hallucination? Because people are going to ask me that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, when I got stabbed, I hadn't eaten all day. It was the end of the day. The sun hadn't gone down yet. I just got off work. Um, and he invited me over for beer. And I drank one beer outside with him by the car. And we had a good conversation, you know, it was calm. And he invited me in to our old apartment for another beer. I'm like, okay, I'll go in for another beer. Um, I had finished that beer, you know, and I was at the kitchen sink and he leaned down and given me a kiss over the sink. And I just took the kiss. He was very tall. He's like six foot four and I'm five, six. And he was very tall. And then he pulled away from the kiss and he said, why all this love, this hate? Isn't it so much like that though? And that's when he pulled my arms up and he dragged me into the living room. And with my arms up like that, I was stabbed in the back. His one hand held me and the other hand stabbed me. He said, and why he, is all this love hate? Yeah, he's like, what is this? Why this love, this hate? And he pulled back from the kiss. There was no, you're a jerk. No, you're a jerk. You know, we're fighting like that. It was just, it was just a snap. But that same snap and in that same moment of rage that he had, even though I was blessed to live, you ever watch the news? People die like this all the time, every day from love, hate. We're not allowed to look at hate. We're not allowed to acknowledge our anger, our rage, what happened to us. No, we don't talk about that. We have to smile all the time and we snap and we break and we make the news. I made the news, <laughs> but the news wasn't happy. Oh, she lived. No, I, uh, it was, no, this bad thing happened. Um, anyway, so yeah, I uh, was administered. I don't know what they gave me in the hospital. I was in a coma for nine days. Um, I believe my mother brought me out from the coma. I was in a void uh, when I heard her voice and felt her grab my hand. And so I was like, forever indebted to my mom like deeply because I felt like if she wouldn't have come up there and done that I don't think I would have been able to find my way back. Now, um, did your near-death experience happen while you were in the squad and arriving at the hospital do you think? No my NDE like my coma was only nine days but it really lasted a really long time even when I woke up from my coma the first night out of ICU, I went up to the fourth floor and I wasn't asleep. I had other visions, like my NDE continued, but I wasn't, I guess I was near death. I mean, I had massive infection, um, but I, I, this NDE experience just continued with me for days and days and days. Okay. And I, my experiences 
And yes, I was hallucinating because especially when you come out of a coma, I don't know if people are aware of this. It's not fun. I was still fighting. Like I was fighting the demon. I was fighting those poor nurses because I wasn't aware, or maybe that was when I went into the coma because, you know, the coma was drug induced. Maybe I went and stopped fighting, but either way, it's hard when you're in the hospital and you're sick, you're on drugs, you hallucinate. So I did have problems hallucinating. And I talked to the nurses like, get me out of here. So you when know I, the difference, the, the NDEs and the hallucinations, it's clear to you. Uh, yeah, because the NDEs have those scarring effects. Hallucinations are like, man, I've done mushrooms. <laughs> I've tripped on LSD, DMT, that the big thing people are trying to create their own NDE or hallucinations or experiences of their own I self. Hate well, it's still out there and it's still an experience. Now you can have a bad trip um, or you can become an addict or you can just waste a whole bunch of your time and money when really, I mean, there's lots of different ways of trying to get to know yourself. Being truthful is the hardest. Because it but, sounds like what you're saying is these um, hellish entities are out there. I mean, it was right there at your, on your sitting on your bed in the hospital. It's like they're oh, lurking and I would be concerned if you take some kind of hallucinogen that they could enter. Yeah. Not yeah. that yours was caused by that. I'm not saying that you had, you were near death. I mean, I understand that, but I'm just saying people that take the drugs to have an experience. They can have a bad trip for sure. Um, also, you can become deluded in that because that to me is not truth. A drug is exactly true. the truth is only the truth. It's raw. It hurts sometimes. But it's the only door that you can walk through to become an, a true experiencer. And an experiencers are there to guide or teach or steer. I mean, we have impact. I mean, a lot of times we don't want to. We want to stay in our house because being impactful is hard. But life isn't easy. Even if you had a million dollars, it's not easy. So you're going to pick your heart. You're going to be I know me and Nairs that have committed suicide. So yeah, and you have to be um, truthful to yourself. So drugs don't give you that truthful to your experience self because you can become high, like on crystal meth or marijuana or whatever your choice of drug is, and you become so exhilarately happy. You're like, oh my god, I know what love is. Actually, you know what slavery is like because um, that's not pure. It's not real, and it's it's delusional. So yeah, there's definitely a difference um, from my experience because of the scars it left. Um, and at that time, there was no NDE community. And I told the hospital therapist, cause I was, they pulled the breathing tube out of me and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to tell these people like, oh my God. And they're like, what the, I don't know. We need to get <laughs> someone to talk to this. So this, this, you know, guy comes up, this older guy comes up real dry, you know, he had a suit on. <laughs> I can picture this. He puts his chair in front of my bed and he sits down with his papers and clipboard. And I'm sitting here trying to tell him about demons and water gods and whatever else I saw. And I'm trying to talk as best I can. And I just can't stop. I'm just like, and all these other, I saw war out my window, you know, at the hospital. I'm freaking out and very simply after me trying the best i can to talk to this uh 
therapist. He just tells me never talk about it again. What? Mm-hmm, ever just why would anybody mm-hmm. silence anyone for anything you know therapists never talk about it oh move on with your life because he felt like i was probably suffering from severe hallucinations and really taking my hallucinations to heart so coming from him he's like whoa you slow down slow down focus on you know eating sounds like he didn't want to be bothered well it was definitely that's he was out in five minutes after it took me what I could even try to talk to him. And I didn't share. I was devastated. I was crushed. Um, one, I didn't want to be back. I felt like a ghost for years. I wanted to go back home. Life hurt. Life was hard. Death was great. God didn't want me. I felt rejected. He did not want me. Nobody wants me. Anyway, my distress because when i got out of the hospital you know i had been in the hospital so long my apartment was gone i'm independent yeah my mom came out but that was the extent of our relationship and so i was homeless i had nowhere to go and i still had a bag in my back draining infection um oh my goodness couch hopping and going to work because i still uh was working my boss wow. found me in the hospital when that I didn't show up. That is just work. awful. Oh, it was, it was bad. So then at that point, I got hooked on drugs. I got, I was, you know, I was a streetwalker. I was homeless um, and wanted death. And I ended up making the top of a checker auto parts store, the roof up there, my safe haven to sleep at night. And I managed to stay safe off the streets and dealing with the people that I dealt with, um, I was never hurt. I was always allowed safe passage, but I was also always very close to God. And I never wronged anybody or ever would. And I took the Bible very literally, even though I didn't even start reading the Bible till almost 20 years after my NDE. What were and you I, like before your NDE? What was your spiritual life like? the same. I was a 10 year old girl telling kids not to make fun of other kids on the playground because it's not nice. <laughs> so it's weird. Why but do you I think felt, you went to hell? Uh, my life was so hard. Um, I was severely neglected, abused, mistreated. Um, my dad ended up 20 years in prison for what he did to me. I was a special case of a person who made it through parts of the system, but in other aspects, failed the systems utterly failed me because Are you my dad write a book. Uh, I should, but the best okay. I can do is Facebook. Um, there's really nothing that I could say that hasn't already been said. And everybody, every individual has free will. It's their choice. It's my yeah. choice. Yeah, I was born into what I call uh, slavery. Um, I felt like I was a sex slave as a child my whole life. Even when my dad went to prison, I continued to be severely uh, molested up until I ran away at 19 years old. So I was lived in this life my entire life, kind of like 
I don't know what you can compare me to because there's parts of the world that having a woman, you know, live in the home starting early at young ages is normal. But it's still out there. I you mean, have, your mother thought that was normal. Is that what you're saying? Yes, my mom was definitely uh, did not help me in those situations and left me there. And it felt to me very intentional, even though in her mind, it's not right. But I'm saying it's out there because it is out there. So and at 22, when this happened, was you just an angry individual? Oh my God. I had left this home at 19. I got stabbed at 22. And <laughs> I was like, this is all I'm ever going to know is hell. I'll never know. I didn't even start laughing in life until I was maybe 24, 25 years old after I had gotten off the streets. And when I did get off the streets, I started working. Um, oh, there was a part in my NDE that directly is relatable to my work. And I, if I can, I can share that part. Sure. With you. Uh -huh. So what happened is in a spirit form, I was in a desert, you know, and it was all dry and dirt. And I was just in this big, huge, vast desert as spirit. And I was like, hey, you know, being spirit so awesome. You can go fast. You can be free and go anywhere. And um, there were mountains off in the distance and the sun was going down. And of course, when the sun set and you're not on earth, the colors are what you hear about indescribable. Um, this was a rainbow sunset that I saw through the mountains of pure love, joy, energy. The first experience I felt of that heaven was through this vision I had. Was this when you were over the water? No, this was a whole nother place. I was in the desert. Okay. Yep. There's a whole nother, yep, there's a whole nother place in it, you know, like sequence yep. where it was. Yeah, it just, I went to so many different places and okay. saw so many things. And this was a desert scene, a desert place with mountains and the sun was going down. And coming up from the mountains was a asphalt road. And I see way, way, I'm talking like, I can just say like a bird, you know, you can kind of see over there, this little dot on the road and it's a motorcycle. And I'm very intrigued with it. I'm like, oh my God, is that a dog? So instantly I make the trip from like, however far away I was in spirit form to the mountain, to this road, to this motorcycle. And I'm right up in the face of this Springer Spaniel. And he's, you know, well-groomed. His ears are flapping in the wind. His tongue's hanging out. And he's straight riding a motorcycle. <laughs> and I'm like, this is joy. This is love. Cause that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling. And as it's, he's moving in these weird colors, you know, cause it's not like how you see me. It's like a blend of these colors in this movement being one and feeling real pure joy and love and contentment and peace and safe, you know, oh my God. And of course that was just like my other experiences, a split second. I could just, boom, I saw it and I was gone. I was just allowed to have that, that feeling of joy and that vision of the dog on the motorcycle. And how that directly impacts me as well, when I got out of the home, the way I made a life, for myself and take care of myself was I went to trade school to be a dog groomer at 19. Well, I had just 
turned 19. So it was the end of my 18th year, turned 19, got my certificate like a month and a half later, got my first job. I'm out of here. See ya. And I hooked up with the first people I met at the job, which, you know, they're my kind of people. They took me in um, and let me hang around. And that's where I met the people that, you know, I eventually got stabbed by, but I'm not a judging, I'm not going to judge anybody. Every did he book, go to prison? He did. And um, his parents actually had a ton of money. This guy was on the streets, but his family was rich. So they hired an attorney and they did not want his son and their son in jail. And I didn't either. When I got out of the hospital, I knew he was in jail, but I had to call him one night and leave a message on his voicemail just in case he got it to let him know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> You're loved. Like, it was just, yeah, what's this love-hate thing, right? And I'm just, everything's going to be okay. And I just knew everything's going to be okay, even though it wasn't. I just, you know, I was homeless, but everything's okay. You know, I was on drugs, but everything's okay. doesn't have to be perfect to be okay. But I just tried to give him this message, like, hey, don't, kill yourself, you know, don't just move on, get your life. It's your life. Live it. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And I never had talked to him again. Um, and uh, he got five years. He served his time. Um, I never had any restitution. I just, you know, my credit was shot. I lost my car, I lost my apartment. Um, <laughs> Oh, so you had, did you have your own apartment at that time or was these people yeah. helping you or why did no, you? When I, when I got stabbed, I did have my own place. Okay. When I had left the home at 19, um, I was homeless and I was couch hopping with people, um, trying to stay away from this guy who I thought, you know, he's probably going to, you know, he don't Ish. want me talking. Yeah. He don't want me talking and telling people what he's done because he'll have the same you know, prison's horrible. And I feel that's another slavery system, but what are we going to do? Um, so yeah, but I went on to work after my NDE and I became like this amazing, very talented uh, groomer, like a whisperer. I could really talk with dogs. I could really handle them. And I just became highly skilled. Um, it drove me. Those visions really drove me to keep going. And to this day, now I'm independent. I can take care of myself on my own and make my own choices and not have to be in the gutters of the world. But when I'm out and about in my days, I can still see these people right in the same spot I was. Again, it's just, it's hard. Um, you Do can you get still, uh, still work with dogs like that? Yeah, I'm self-employed and I work with dogs. That's my calling. That's awesome. And I think maybe, you know, if that's why I'm here for a second time around, then I'll continue to do that. So I fought very hard to continue my career, even though everything's been against it, really. I mean, um, I was in an, another abusive relationship after that. So um, I ended up having another NDE. I think I was pregnant with my son when it happened, but I can't really remember it. Um, life is hard out there. It, it's tough. Um, and I'm not the nicest person either. I don't think because we're spiritual, we have to be doormats. And I'm not right. very good at my words because 
I learned a different language than a lot of people learn, and I refuse to wear masks because of the way I grew up. I, if I'm sad, I'm going to be sad on my face. If I'm angry, I'm going to be angry. And the last thing I'm going to do is give you a fake smile. And people right. hate that. They want to live with a fake smile all day long. And I just can't anymore because um, I don't want to feel like I'm ignoring other hurts and sufferings. Right. Um, but at the same time, I'm always out of place, <laughs> which is fine. It's okay. Since the NDE community has gotten a little smaller, um, I feel not so alone. What um, do you mean NDE community got a little smaller? Well, it's worldwide. Oh, okay. It's all over the world. You can go anywhere. In fact, you can even get on the bus in any town and probably one person on that bus has had an NDE. They might not understand that that was an NDE or that was a spiritual experience. I've had so many experiences even before my NDE that I honestly, I just said, I cannot deal with that. I've, nope. Right. But they still happen to us and we don't talk about it, but they're still part of our lives. But we're so busy with that fake smile trying to get other persons to you know, talk good about it. Anyway, it's complicated. And I just dropped all that stuff. I said, y'all, I'm just out here. You know, <laughs> I can't, mm -hmm. I can't fix everybody and I still have a long way to go, but um, it's everyone's personal choice. So book or who no do you book. Think, I'm sorry. Who do you think that 10 year old boy was? Oh my God. So <laughs> I'm always trying to put people in my life to my NDE. And maybe that's why my life has been so hard because I'll go down that dark road, that hard road. I do not care about money. I will stay um, committed regardless of what people's opinions are. And they think, oh, you can do so much better than that. I'm like, you know what? I, I don't really, it doesn't matter how good we get. Let's just be okay with where we are. So I'm trying to always find faces to fit my story. And I'm like, oh my God. And what's happened is I'm, I've, I'm blind. Um, you know, the NDE represents us and I'm blind. I can't remember people. I, everyone to me is either very, very familiar or not. What do you and mean so, when you say I'm blind? Yeah. Like I feel like I'm view things differently than what other people and some people see, um, a face and they'll always remember that face or that person. I'll see that face and I'm not sure if I'm seeing it from where I'm at, who they are. I just know I'm familiar. So with you don't them. know, you like have no clue, like who that 10 year old boy. No. And if I ever saw him, you know, cause we just keep running into ourselves. <laughs> what about the man that was water? Any idea who that was? If I'd call him anything, it'd be Poseidon. I you? mean, just Poseidon. Poseidon. What's that? Oh, like Zeus, like Greek okay. mythology. You know, he was a man made of water. I mean, I mean, that's like Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know what to call him. He had a beard. I don't know. I didn't see any, you know, mermaid tails, but he was made of water. Who do you think? Um, do you think someone created these? visions this experience for you or do you think um 
it was real events? Do you think it was real events created for your benefit? What do you think? I feel that the NDE represents me. So yeah, I created it. And I can't create that feeling of love and the feeling of fear that I had when I watched this man made of water swimming because that's what was impactful was those feelings, fear, love, um, the rage in the fight with the demon, the not giving up. So Do you the feel the 10-year-old boy rescued you from hell? Would he come down the stairs and then that thing was dead and then you was up in the water? I and mean, what do you make of that? Well, like what we all do when we see things and we go back, what do we do? The first thing we do is talk about it. What do you think those demons were doing when they're looking at me? And after the fact, they'll be like, oh, yeah, this happened. Let's go talk about it. So this child saw me. And even though I didn't see any action from him, he's just a witness. It's still out there. <laughs> we, we can be even that impactful. Um, I just knew I was going to be okay when I saw him regardless if he was the one who did the action of saving me, because in the end I was saved by, I don't know what it was. I was just moved. I was taken to a different place. Um, so, yeah. I'm just curious what you made of it all. What conclusions have you come to, if any, about what sense do you make of this? What was it? What was that, you know? Yeah, it really is just a wonderful story or mirage to share, to look at a piece of art. Um, my life story is I'm just one person. Um, but my, the way I think is different. Um, my message to anybody from my NDE would just to be okay with who you are. You're not a great person. Okay. You're not a great person. You want to work on that? Okay, well, then you need to want to work on that. Um, you're okay being where you're at, which is kind of lower than what other people may think you need to be. All right, well, then maybe you need to be okay with that because being okay with hard things like being in hell for your whole entire life is hard, but we can't really fake it. We've got to face it first to get out that's good i've never heard that before is that a saying in something or you can't I, fake it you have to face it or you just come up with that because that's pretty good yeah i mean it's, if you want to put it on a t-shirt i'll sport it because I, I mean really you yeah you have to don't fake it face it that's awesome why did, what I, why did i spend my entire life growing up next you know as a prisoner why didn't somebody help me what lesson did I get out of that? One, it's okay to turn the other cheek. We don't have to always hit back. Maybe, you know, to be a victim, a true victim. You have to play the victim role. I was a victim. I wasn't trying to be a hero. Um, I was trying to save my brother's lives, you know, who were with me. Um, and then what do we do after victimization? Do we grow? 
Do we continue to victimize ourselves? Well, we have all these choices. I was very suicidal as a child, very suicidal. So many times I almost took my life as a young child. And uh, each time I just managed to walk through that um, somehow. And so, yeah, it's easy to choose what maybe I would have thought, oh, that'd be easy out for me because I wouldn't have to endure the suffering anymore. But for what, you know? And then God, no, he said, you can stay here. You've got more work to do. I don't want to do any work. I'm Was that said to you here. by God that you could stay here? You have more work to do? I did get told in my NDE in a very odd way. It was actually the doctor, because I was worked on at a UMC. So there's students who worked on me and my scar portrays that. <laughs> oh, yeah, my scars are just, they're not even straight lines. Um, and anyway, because they were there after I woke up too, and they were very newbies. And I recognized the doctor. I said, did you do this to me? And he said, yes, I did. And I said, well, thank you for saving my life. And in my NDE, it was a dark area. And again, there was a light at the top. You can kind of see. And I was sitting up on a bed, like a hospital bed, I'm sitting up, even though I knew I'd been stabbed, but I was sitting there under this light. And the doctor who had worked on me was in front of me, like I was at a doctor visit. And I'm fine. I'm not dead. And he's not working on me. We're just sitting there and he's talking to me. And he's like, now he had a beard too. He's a big kind of guy. And uh, he said, I'm going to bring you back. But you have to be good. And I'm thinking, I nod. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can be good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm like, can you know that? I'm thinking, um, uh huh. <sighs> So anyway, guess what thoughts I had after my ND? Am I good? What is good? Are you good? Are we being good? Or what is, oh my God, if I'm not good, what's going to happen to me? Oh, well, I had a big, huge argument with spirit um, because spirit was guiding me or wanting to guide me. And I don't want to, uh-uh, I was mad. I was, get away from me, spirit. You want me to go left? Fine, I'm going right. You don't like that? Was that not good enough for you, spirit? Well, oh well, let's see what happens. So I fought on um, arguments for many years about what is good and who is good and who's calling the shots here. And really it got me to the road about being unconditionally kind to people who are different. Like, you know, I have a huge heart for the homeless. And a lot of people, they ignore the homeless. They just drive by them. Okay, you're going to give them a couple bucks? Great. Well, I know homelessness. And it's not easy. And sometimes it's by choice. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're in extreme opposition with the system. Um, so you sleep outside. Oh, you don't want to pay your bills? Oh, you don't want to behave accordingly? That's what you get. What's that mean, opposition with the system? I'm just curious. Well, even though I was a victim in life um, through stabbing, they called that a victim of crime. It affected me so much because I lost my home and I lost my car. Um, I became addicted to drugs. So I had become in extreme opposition of the system. I had no credit. I lived in cash. 
I made, um, I worked every day, but it was cash. And so a lot of people live like that. A lot of people go to prison because they stab people or they do something like steal cars or whatever they're doing. They're enraged because nobody wants to really, you know, like the EMTs who took me away. Well, they're not interested in me. They're not even talking about me. Look at me. I got stabbed in the back and they're talking about what show they watched earlier. You know, that just made me so angry. Well, everybody feels that way. We're all mini gods. You know, you go to Burger King, you get what you want except you really don't. You have to have good credit. You have to have a stable job. You have to have people talking good about you. You have to be aligned with the system for it to work that way. And if you're not, it takes a lot of work to get back into that system. I'm still with no credit, um, but I'm independent. You know, I'm self-employed and I work with skill that I develop my own. I didn't buy a bunch of products with a bunch of money and go out and sell it and make more money in that system. So there's just so many different ways of doing it out there. And unfortunately, a lot of people still choose to throw tantrums, steal, go against the system. Um, they are, it seems to me, cause I'm just thinking from when I worked at the maximum security women's prison that oh. They were determined, they, as putting everybody in the same category there, but I know that's not correct, but a lot of them were determined to not go by the rules, and then they would get mad at the system because they um, didn't make parole. Yeah. So you, you know, and I'm like, you, you stole some, you know, like, um, if you have your tray and you're in a prison, you're an inmate, and you give someone your cupcake, that's a write-up. And I don't know how many times they would do something stupid like that before a parole hearing and then be mad that they had these strikes against them for rule violations. And then they're mad when I'm in, have them in the counseling room because they didn't make their parole, but it was just a cupcake. And I said, if you can't go by the smallest of rules in here, yeah. how are you going to go by the big ones out there? And that's what they're looking at. And it's just and the way life is. And like, we all got to go by the rules or we suffer the consequences. I don't care if it's a cupcake or it's a bag of money you stole from the bank. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that right there is a huge touch of the glass shatter. Like here's our society, nice and pretty. And there's a huge shatter in it and there's cracks everywhere. And it's not as pretty as we'd like, but you know, maybe we'll just look at it on this side where there's less cracks. We'll just ignore the, you know, we'll just put a picture over it and just ignore it. Well, with COVID um, now and the new, I guess, I don't know what's going on with the world. The world's getting smaller. The NDE community is smaller. What's going on with the system? It's like, yeah. It's broken. I feel it's broken. My dad spent 20 years in prison. He got out. It is well, broken. Why, why did you have to tell on me? He asked me. I said, what? Why did you have to do what you did? For, excuse me? You know? And so there's no fixing anything, but we're all supposed to take care of ourselves. You know, we mask. We, if you're into it, vaccinate. You take care of yourself. It's self-care. Do you go to the gym? Are you overweight? Well, if you're overweight and you get COVID, you know, and it's like, well, and then we have fat shaming, you know, you're going to die of COVID because you're fat <laughs> and you're dope. You're vaccinated how many times and you still get sick and I don't, you know, I mean, <laughs> so the world is shattered. And so, yeah. And it's up to us individually with, I guess, 
what is it called? Free will. Yeah. Do you want to be a victim? Then take the cupcake because then you will be a victim. Do you want to get out? Then leave it alone and you can get out. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in standing up against rules when it's important and when it matters you know, and, and that you have to be willing to suffer the consequences as a result, but to break the rules and then be shocked that you have to suffer the consequences, I think is another thing. <laughs> There's lots of levels of blindness. Yeah. And, and how blind are we going to be and how enraged are we going to be? What path are we going to take? You know? So yeah, it's complicated. It's so colorful though. Life is so colorful every day out there. Um, I can't please everybody. Right, <laughs> I'm not me neither. So I appreciate you coming on and I don't want to take up all your day. Okay. Um, thank you. You did a good job. You really did. You got an amazing story. And, and I like that you are one of these people that you, you don't understand it. You don't have the answers where some people, you know, they tell their NDE and say, well, that means this and this and this, and they make up all these new rules that we're all I supposed think. to go by and believe in because I of can't. their NDE. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think it works like that. <laughs> No, well, maybe. When we go to, sorry, when we go to an art gallery, I mean, I mean, now when you go to the bathroom, they tell you how to wash your hands, <laughs> but you can't tell me how to interpret art. Okay. And life's art, life's a dance. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good analogy too, because our NDEs are like art and I see yes. them personally, just myself as God designed these experiences for us to learn from them what we need to learn and go forward in our yeah. lives. Whether if somebody has a hell experience, maybe they needed a little kick in the butt to change. Or if somebody had, you know, whatever experience, like for me, you know, I lost my twins and I was told it was my time. And so when I was brought back, I had this humongous gratitude that I yeah. was given my life back when it was my time. And so that was me. That's what I needed to go forward to better my life was to live with this gratitude that mm -hmm. God gave me my life back to raise my kids. And because I was abused growing up too, and I was scared to death that my kids would be in the hands of my mother if I yeah. didn't return. And, and, and if they weren't with her, they would be with someone that they're, I wouldn't be there as a mother to protect them because I was very protective. My kids didn't stay with anyone else other than me very rarely, maybe um, my husband's mother briefly. And that was it. And so, you know, we all have what and I feel, I feel they're designed. And so that's everybody, you know, and you are free. That's your experience to de determine what it means to you and, and how it come about and why it was there. And we have rest of our lives to ponder. Well, I've, I've actually had people recently, I was told that no, I wouldn't be hired by a certain person based off of what they viewed on my Facebook wall, my page, because I, I'm not there to get a hundred likes. I'm like, Hey, you know, I can't remember stuff. So well. I'm going to look at this later. If I'm going to enjoy it, maybe you will. Oh, you don't like the things on my page. That's okay. But you're but, a dog but, groomer, right? I mean, not to belittle that, but like, how is your spiritual life going to affect what you do with animals? Well, that's a depiction because that's like saying, you know, well, I'm not going to hire you because you're black or you're not going to hire me because I'm spiritually different than you. And there's always going to be idiots. Well, there's judgment and there's mm -hmm. what's it called? Ra racism. Oh, yeah. Like 
I'm a single white woman and I guess I'm a minority. I'm also self-employed, so I don't depend on a man, which is kind of different for a lot of people. So anyway, I have a lot of flack. And um, we all yeah. do because everybody's yeah. a critic. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm independent, so I could scream NDE all day. Um, I've been stalking the NDE community for a couple of years now. No, <laughs> and now well, I'm married, but I tell you what, I'm independent. I'll bring my husband here and he'll tell you, you don't mess with her. <laughs> Hey, how do you find one? <laughs> I need some backup here. But anyway, no, I appreciate um, just helping me out here. Um, I'd like to share my story. Um, it's hard for me to communicate. And um, if it can help anyone out, great. And if it can piss anyone off and give them something to talk about, cool too. <laughs> sure. We'll wake them all up. <laughs> anyway, give me something. We're strong though. And I yeah. sometimes I'll say, do you think what you are doing to me is going to tear me down because you have not seen what I've been through. <laughs> and you think this is going to do it? <laughs> Actually, no, because I've had a lot of people tear me down. And that's why getting up is so important because people will tear yeah. you down. Will They'll stay down you. long. Oh, man, they just, they just, just want to cut them daisies. Cut them daisies right off. Yeah. Well, they're going to grow back. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> and they're going to grow back stronger. And more. <laughs> yeah. You burn down a field. It always comes back greener and more beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. We'll see you later. All right. Bye-bye.